Greetings, friends. I want to welcome you to another episode of The Church is Changing Podcast. I'm Paul Nixon, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Nicole Riley. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Paul. Nicole is an elder in the United Methodist Church for 30-plus years. You run a podcast called The Clergy Wellness Podcast. Yes. And you have been in the local church till this year, then you're doing a lot of interesting things. This is like the fun season where you're like, you're doing social media management for churches, you're a life and ministry coach, you've got a podcast, and you have quite a bit of perspective from working not only in the local church, but with a lot of Southern California churches in the years when you were doing church development. You're someone that I've, I look to and I respect your thoughts and opinions. And I thought, hey, it'd be fun to talk to Nicole in this crazy changing season to see what, what she's seeing, what she's hearing out there. I appreciate the opportunity. So, Nicole, you've served a lot of churches and you've equipped a lot more over the last three decades. What is changing in terms of the recipe for a thriving church across all those years? Yeah, I think lots has changed, but I think there's also <laughs> things that have stayed the same. So I think changing and what has changed in thriving churches is about embracing new communication tools. I think that's a big one. So whether that's social media or live stream or podcast or whatever churches are doing to use new tools for communication. I think what's also changed is the need for churches to be very focused in ministry. Money is often tight in churches. I mean, I think it always has been, but it's especially feels like it right now. So I think churches need to focus on what will make the most difference in the lives of people. You know, so those are the, I think, the some of the biggest changes. I think a lot, though, hasn't really changed. The church's role is still making disciples, and discipleship looks like, you know, worship and service in small groups and getting people to share their lives and all those things. The basics haven't changed, but how we share them has changed a lot. When you talk about focus, are you saying that churches need to figure out a more specific audience than just all the people out there? Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. I think they have to be clear on who it is they're trying to reach and then take the resources they have so that those resources are used to reach that group of people. I think it's very hard for churches historically to say, we are working to reach this particular group. Uh, we like to reach everyone. You know, we feel the gospel's for all people, and it is. But also, in order to reach people in today's world, I think you have to focus on the things that will reach a particular group. And I think you have to focus on the things the church does best instead of saying yes to just every possibility that might be out there. And so it's really going to vary from church to church in terms of their population focus and the way they specialize their ministry. Yeah, absolutely. It sure will. So I don't know if you've had the experience. I bet you have. But I've walked in and I've heard them, when I've asked the question, who do you want to reach? They go, oh, we want families with young children. Oh, absolutely. Which could be any flavor of family out there. And I think often they're thinking about the families that used to be in their church. Yeah. But the way we reach families with young children, if indeed we're called to do that, it's different today than it used to be. Absolutely. And I think it's important to have tools like Mission Insight, which give us an opportunity to get to know who's actually in the community. 
Some of the biggest frustrations churches have is they want to reach a mission field that may not even exist in their community. Yeah, we can design ministry for the world that used to be really easily, even for the world that existed in 2018, which isn't here anymore. I mean, even 2018. Right, absolutely. Now, you talked about technology a little bit there, and we know that you do some work there. COVID was kind of an opportunity, kind of kicked us into the world of, of technology and ministry in some ways that many churches had been sort of lagging behind the curve. And, and some churches sort of caught up for the moment with that. Other churches basically adapted for a moment, but as soon as it was possible to move back in the room, they sort of retreated from that. What's been your experience with churches, especially churches with older people, adapting to new technology? I think it's a challenge. Right. I think even people our age, you know, I'm 61, a lot of people feel like it's just beyond them or too much for them. But I don't think it has to be. I think there are there are simple steps, there are simple ways of looking at it that take the technology we have. And maybe it's not all the technology we have. Maybe it's one or two things that we can do better. Uh, Technology is really something that can serve us and help people regardless of their age and capacity. And in fact, I think one of the things that's often missed is when we think about how we can reach people who are in their homes, unable to get out, the group we used to call the homebound, with the technology we have and keep them much more engaged in the life of their church than they would be in previous generations. You know, some of those folks homebound, which usually used to, we used to think of it like, you know, kind of an at-home nursing home kind of population, people that were basically out of the game. I've noticed some of those people are back in the game. They're serving on committees. They're, you know, they have brilliant minds. They have physical limitations. Yeah. But through this digital connection, they're they're sort of back in a more engaged participation in the life of churches. In some cases. Yeah, I think it actually widens the opportunities for a lot of people, the technology we have. So if you're an introvert, even, right, you may do better with online church occasionally and, and opportunities to connect with people in the digital realm. And that may allow you to participate at a greater level than you would have been if everything has to be in person all the time. Now, you were senior pastor at Valencia UMC, north of L.A., yeah. s- suburban life, during the pandemic. And from all I can tell is Valencia held course. It didn't fall apart. But you had to pivot. Yeah. What, what did you learn in that season? Well, I was really fortunate to have inherited a really exceptional team. This was a staff and a leadership team from the congregation that was willing to try a lot of things. You know, we made a lot of plans. We tried a lot of different things. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. And when they didn't work, we didn't make that mean anything. You know, everybody in that time had permission to try new things. Everybody had ideas and we we worked together. We tried to make things come together and we encouraged each other, you know, because there was a lot that that didn't come together. And so we worked to encourage each other in that time and to come up with ideas that were creative and fun. We were clear that even though the church wasn't meeting in the building, that we were still the church. And so we continued to serve, we continued to worship, we continued to gather for small groups. How that happened, though, changed, right? We were online for a while. We were on the lawn for worship. We did things in the parking lot. 
I remember one of the things we did was we hired a mobile DJ who went to different neighborhoods where church families lived and he played music and people came out of their houses and danced. So we tried different things and that I think helped a lot. We were already live streaming. So we were one of the few churches in the CalPET conference that had a live stream set up. We'd already had that in place since 2019. We'd already set up more social media, and we had a podcast for the church. All those things had started before COVID, and so we were able to really build on those. And I think that enabled us to to pivot in the midst of that time. I think that was like the first pivot was when COVID was happening. But then I think there was a second pivot when we started to go back, because then it was, you know, people were tired and out of ideas. <laughs> what were we going to do now in this new season? And one of the things we decided on was we were going to work to get people to come back to worship if they could. You know, there were some people who didn't feel safe. There were people who were watching from out of town. There were people who, you know, now were finally going on family vacations. But we worked to get people back into the building because we felt like that was going to give people a healing experience to be with people that they hadn't been with in a while. And so we made a lot of decisions at that time about how to actually grow back our in-person capacity. And as as you lived into that, did you then kind of see an online community of worshipers that was larger than what you started with, or did it kind of re- revert back to about the numbers you had in pre-COVID? No, it certainly was more than what we had in pre-COVID. When pre-COVID, we had probably, gosh, I would say about 50 folks who were watching online. Currently, you're looking more at like 150 online. During COVID, it was more like 300, but now in the building are more like 200 people. So, you know, the numbers have, have kind of shifted over the time, but I think... The online piece is an important piece. It's a new piece for a lot of people. And it does take a discipline as a pastor to really know that there are people out there and to speak to them and to offer them opportunities. And, you know, it takes work. I mean, yeah. after we record, I go to the church to record a sermon for Sunday. The nice thing is, is it'll already be kind of in my head to kind of marinate, like it's putting spaghetti sauce in the refrigerator for two days, because I'm forcing myself to be ready to do that recording, which I think makes for a better Saturday. But a lot of pastors have resisted the kind of work. Now, if you do, if you do live stream, you don't have to do the early recording, but, but you do have to do the work to, to be able to provide something quality online with, especially with good sound, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I I think I'm a great believer in the power and importance of the sermon. And so I think pastors really do have to step it up in what they're presenting on Sunday, not only what they say, but how they say it. Because if you're trying to communicate with people, you need to have enough in your head that you're not glued to your notes, and you're able to look at the camera, and you're able to look at the people. So yeah, I think it is additional work and an additional challenge, but I think it's also a great opportunity too. So in this sort of new space where we have a hybrid of in-house ministry and online ministry, is that going to be the new normal for almost everybody? I hope so. 
you know, I, I'm concerned that there are churches that would just like to go back to what they did, but I think it's an important piece. I know I actually served a church in 2006 that had an online live stream presence. And wow. so that was way back in that day. And when I was director of new ministries, uh, you know, I kind of assumed there'd be a bunch of those churches and there just were not. So I know that people watch you online before they come see you in person. And so if you don't even have that opportunity, you're going to miss out on a lot of people too. Now, you wrote a book a couple of years ago which I think offered some real guidance in terms of digital ministry. What was the title of that book? It's called Expanding the Expedition Through Digital Ministry. And we can find that. How do you get a, how do you get a hold of that? It's on Amazon. Yay. Yay. <laughs> okay. So what what in short, what tips would you have for churches that don't have a communication director and in terms of just the basic competencies of a hybrid ministry? Yeah, so I think if we're talking about either pre-recording or Sunday live stream, learn to, and it's a discipline, to look at the camera and talk to the camera. You have to imagine who's out there, who's looking at your message, who's receiving those words. But how if you're down and, you know, if you're looking like up and down and up and it's not helpful. So I think just very basic. Um, <laughs> That's kind of true. That's kind of true in the actual room, though, isn't it? It I mean, is. <laughs> it is. But in the actual room, there's enough people, right, that you might be looking in a variety of places. Sure. So it's a little different. Whereas on film, they're looking, you know, at you and you need to be looking at them by looking yeah. at the camera. So I think it is a discipline, and I think one of the ways you you learn to do it is by reviewing the live stream every week. So don't just do the live stream, <laughs> sit down Sunday afternoon or Monday morning and watch it. And that will help you see what could be tightened up. Transitions are often a big issue. We worked really hard at Valencia that you would never see anyone walking up the steps that there would be a slide that would be there, that would be a transition slide. So if you review what you've done every week, it will help increase that quality. So the only time they can walk up the steps is when they're going to get their Academy Award, basically. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, we don't need travel. We don't need to show people during travel time. We don't need to show the travel time. No, we do not. <laughs> now, a lot of churches have grown smaller in recent times, and many Mainline churches have kind of an inferiority complex because they don't have enough money to fix up the building. Yeah. They used to have kids, and there's not many kids around. Even their music has a very, how shall we say it, volunteer quality to it. So yeah. they just sort of feel like th there's no way that they can really grow their church or they can they can be a viable option to the larger megachurch maybe down the road. Do you believe that small aging churches can find a way to thrive? Absolutely. I sir, I really do. I actually am coaching a church right now where they have 30 people in worship. Okay. And we are looking at what their growth goals are for this coming year. And so, you know, at my first church, there were 60 people in worship. 
you know, and all the resources <laughs> or don't come that come with having nobody in worship, right? So I think you can take a small church and you can move it forward. And I think you start with looking at what are the assets you actually have. So what do you have as a church? We're really good at seeing what we don't have. What do we have? And who are the people we do have? What are their gifts and what are they excited about? We have to focus on those things. I think it's a real temptation to focus on what's not working, what we don't like, what was in the past. I think if we focus on where we are and what is around us, you know, who is the community around us, we can be more open to what God wants to do. I think people are attracted to a church, regardless of what it looks like and its size, because the people who are part of that church are seeking to live out the gospel. And so it doesn't then matter if your church is big or small. If you have people who are really seeking to live out the gospel message, I think that can be an attractive thing to the community. And for me, some of the building blocks for a small church to grow, first one, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with this, but I think preaching is key to grow a church. Pastors need to prioritize preaching instead of it being something, you know, we already mentioned Saturday night, you know, working on the sermon early, getting things done early, having it in your mind so you've made it a priority. I think a lot of pastors could be better preachers, but it takes work and a willingness and it takes a desire to get feedback and to be critical of what you're doing. And then I think one of the ways churches can kind of share what they're about on a Sunday morning is to take those clips of sermons and use them in a short, under a minute on Instagram as a reel. So I think one of the ways oh, you, nice. yeah, one of the ways you help a church kind of get outside the wall. So if you have a pastor who preaches a good sermon and you can put, you know, 55 seconds, you can use it as a reel and Instagram will caption that for you. And so it it really helps people connect. It helps people get to see what's going on in that church. Like a church that I'm doing social media for right now, we just started with them two months ago. And one of the clips from their pastor's sermon reached 683 people. 90 of those people were followers of that church's Instagram, and 593 people were non-followers. And so it was a clip on hope, how to find hope in your life. So I think when churches look at what it is they know how to do. They need. They know how to offer hope. They know how to encourage people. They know how to remind people that, that God loves them and they're not alone. Getting those things out to a wider audience can help people become more curious about what's going on. And then I think when people show up, having something for them to do that's about more than keeping the church alive. So what are the ministry partners in that local church? Do they volunteer to homeless shelter, or the food pantry, or the senior center, whatever their ministry is? I think you're looking to help small churches that are struggling by good preaching and the worship that they have. I, I think if the preaching is good, there's a lot of... I served a church where the music was absolutely horrendous, but they had a lot of loving people and the church grew 
even in spite of the music. They were also a church that was very involved in feeding in the community. So I think those are the things that matter as churches want to revitalize or grow for the first time. So you were talking about hope and that I guess that very topic drove a lot of interest on that on that clip. But from the first time that I was working with you when you were resourcing churches as director of new ministries for California Pacific Conference, the first time that I was working with you, I was struck by your hopefulness and the way that you took your churches that had 30 or 40 on Sunday, you took them as seriously as your big churches. Mm-hmm. That really impressed me. Where does that hopefulness come from? You know... I think that hope really comes from my faith. I just really believe that God uses the church for powerful and important things, and that different sized churches reach different kinds of people. You know, there are some people who are looking for a family sized church, there are some people who are looking for a larger church. You know, I think churches can grow and learn and move forward, and that they really do want to. They want their message of God's love in Jesus Christ to get out into the world. And I think if we help churches learn about what they do do well, what they can do well, and move them from feeling discouraged, we can help them feel more encouraged and more ready for what is next. I find that that's just the story of life, right? We have, we have to have faith. We have to have hope. And that when we do, God really rewards that. I mean, a little story from my own ministry about it. When I went to Valencia, they had a money problem. And they had a money problem because they'd, they'd had a lot of pastors and the church had lost trust. And I had served a church 10 years before that that also had terrible money problems. And my first thought was, oh, no, not this again. And out of that, I prayed a prayer that has really become an important prayer in the whole of my life. And the prayer that I prayed then was something like this. It was like, God, this situation, this is way beyond me. I have no idea what you want me to do but you know. And so I'm going to make a nice cup of tea. I'm going to just sit here on the sofa and rest. (laughs) And when you're ready, you let me know what I should do. And whatever you tell me, I will do that thing. And I'm going to be so excited to see how you're going to show up and move this situation forward. So that became my prayer at that church. And really for my life, through COVID, all the things. And it has had a profound effect on just that hopefulness, that trust that God is in the middle of this. And that while I may not know because it is too far above my pay grade, I know that God does know and that I can listen and trust and follow that leading. I love that prayer. And that was worth our conversation today was just that. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Now, Hindsight is twenty twenty sometimes, and um, we're near each other in age. And so I think back 30 years, and I think about yeah. one particular church I was at that was just kind of a basket case. And, I'm, and I've 
often thought, because I was really not prepared for the crazy there at the time. And I don't know if I'd be more prepared now, but I know some things I would do differently. But as you look back at the different places and challenges, what has 30 years taught you? What might you do a little differently if you were starting fresh at that point? Yeah, so many things, right? I think first, I would not spend so much time trying to fix things. Hmm. You know, fix administrative structure or fix committees or fix the paperwork or fix the worship. I mean, I felt when I got to my first and certainly second local church that there was a lot that needed fixing. And so it was really a burden. It was a heaviness. I mean, I got my first Mm. ulcer my first Christmas (laughs) in my first church. I overdid. I tried to do it all. And I thought some things like charge conference, paperwork mattered. And I have learned over the years that it doesn't matter that much. Yes, you need to do it, but it's not the be all and end all. A second, I would say, you know, that I've learned that the essentials are really what matters. And I can get distracted by the shiny new thing, the new process, the new way of doing things, and that I I need to stay focused on the essentials. And for me, you know, the essentials are that worship is inspiring and it's uplifting, that there are ongoing small groups, both for people who've been around forever and for places I can plug new people in. And those are groups where people share their life together, where people care for each other, as well as learn and serve. And then the last essential is service, you know, having, having opportunities where people can serve, where there are ministry partners in the community that people in the congregation can connect with. So I think if I was doing it all over again, I would really focus on those essentials and not worry so much about the things that weren't working. You know, I came into ministry having grown up in very large congregations where there were lots of teams that could put out excellent whatever. And when I got into a smaller church and they didn't have that kind of capacity for excellent production— I wanted to get into that fix-it mode as well. But, but you know, honestly, people come with different expectations in some ways in terms of production when you walk into a smaller church. Yeah. And I wish that I, had not, I could have relaxed with that and paid attention to the, the essential things that can happen in churches of any size. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. So you're not at Valencia now. I think you do social media with them, though, do, still, do you? Yeah, I run their social media. Yeah. I just love it. I love it. So what's what are you how are you having fun in your latest ministry adventures in coaching and your social media work and the the wellness podcast? What's what's really fun for you right now? Yeah, so really all of it. You know, I came to it in kind of a strange way because I was really enjoying my my work at Valencia and I had a wonderful team. I mean, really just uh, an amazing church in so many ways. But in 2020, I was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer. And that was really what caused me to kind of wonder what was next. I knew that my energy wasn't as good. And I I have never wanted to be a, a staff member who became the mission of the church. You know, I wanted, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted the church to be on its mission, and I wasn't sure, you know, what all this meant for me. And it's it's turned out fine, and I'm doing really well. But out of that, really, I thought, you know, what are the things that I I really love doing? And I've always really loved working with other clergy and being a resource and a, and a help and an encourager. And so in July, I started being a full-time clergy coach and social media manager, and I started the Clergy Wellness Podcast, which we have 30 episodes so far, and I talk about it as a podcast for pastors who are doing one of the hardest jobs in the world and doing it without losing yourself. Mm. And so each week we do a different topic to kind of help pastors strengthen their ministry. And I work with a real diverse group of clergy. I mean, I, I was just looking at the other day because I'm coaching about 25 clergy right now, and some of them are doing brand new ministries. Some of them are senior pastors for the first time and figuring out all of that. Some are mid-career or late career. Some are people who are discerning a call to ordained ministry, you know, all ages and backgrounds and ethnicities. And I just love, at this point in my life, being able to be a resource so people have somebody who's done the work and can help them think about how they would do it in their own way. And then the social media stuff is just really fun. I've always had an artistic bent. So uh, I like creating graphics. I like learning about the algorithms and how that all works. And right now I'm doing uh, two churches for their social media management, Valencia and Fullerton. And so it's been great fun to work with them and to see how we set some goals to strengthen their ministry, to grow their ministry, to connect with people in the community. So lots of churches can't hire someone full-time, and I'm very part-time for churches, so it's a good good match. Very good. In terms of the the wellness and the coaching as well, there there seem to be a lot of clergy that are kind of running on fumes after the pandemic— also, in some cases, due to the 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 disruption in, in the denomination over the, the the current issues, and it's really wearing some folks down. There seems to be a high rate of people that are sort of stepping out. What are you seeing, and what are you seeing in terms of good practices for moving through this very stressful moment? Yeah, I think there's a lot of clergy, and I think certainly the pandemic increased it. But I think one of the realities is being a clergy person is is really an incredibly hard job. You need to have so many skills. You are a generalist in so many ways, but you have to have so much special knowledge and understanding. You have to be a person of faith yourself and have a a rich prayer life and you have to be someone who you know finds worship and community to be essential and and then it's a lot it's a ton that we expect out of our clergy and i think that a lot of clergy are burnt out or overwhelmed or confused and and feel alone i mean i think one of the things i noticed in reviews of the podcast were someone saying i feel a little less alone after listening to this. I think we can do better there. I think we we need to, as clergy, 
not be pitted against each other for appointments or to feel like we're in competition with each other, but to really grow that collegiality. I think that's one of the most important things as we move forward. You know, I look at one of the clusters of churches in Long Beach, California, and how a whole bunch of little small churches are resourcing one another. And those pastors are now working together as a team, which I think is is going to be more and more what the future is. I agree. I totally agree on this team thing. Yeah. Pastors are tired and they can't do it all. And we need to help people define what success is for them in their ministry, help churches have an understanding of how they can work collaboratively with others and and go into ministry, not putting everything on the pastor's shoulders. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that was some of the things that, yeah. Oh, totally. And how do we find Clergy Wellness Podcast? It's everywhere. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify and pretty much anywhere where you're looking for it. You can also find out more about it at my website, which is NicoleRiley.com. Very good. Nicole Riley is the instigator and chief bottle washer of the Clergy Wellness Podcast. She's a life and ministry coach. She's a social media manager. She's been a pastor for 30 years, and she's a friend. Nicole, thank you for joining us today for Churches Changing Podcast. Thanks, Paul. It's been a pleasure. This is the Churches Changing Podcast. I'm Paul Nixon. This podcast is a ministry of the United Methodist Church. Churches Changing Podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.